DJ and PK, time to welcome in Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Morning, Dave. I can't hear him, man. Me neither. You got me now? Now we got you, Riley. How are you? Doing well. How are you guys? Good. So I don't want to go any X's and O's. I don't want to go details. I want to go big picture now. How do you explain everything that happened in this season after BYU lost to Utah in the opener, which a lot of people predicted, and there's a streak there, and we see that. But it seems like since then, Washington maybe was the only other game that we really had a good handle on. It's been a series of surprises. They zig, they zag. How do you explain it all? One of the ways that you explain it, and you mentioned Washington, but the inconsistency really started happening. I mean, Tennessee wasn't very good. I think we knew it was going to be a down year for them, and people were surprised. BYU didn't play terribly good. But, I mean, as as fun as that was, I don't think it was uh, terribly shocking. You know, USC, they did get Keaton Slovis in his first road start and, and schemed them up pretty good. Then in Washington, they lose Tyson Williams. And then against Toledo, they're dealing with that loss, and then they lose Zach Wilson. And then they have Jaron Hall against South Florida, and they lose Jaron Hall against South Florida. So to me, part of the inconsistency, um, including that Washington game and forward up until you know the recent surprises against Boise State and Utah State, can be partly due to um, – to personnel, right, to losing key players and key injuries. And by the way, I just mentioned the ones on the offensive side of the ball. They've been dealing with losses on the defensive side of the ball. It's been a revolving door at linebacker. Now, it hasn't been season-ending stuff, but guys have been able to come back. Uh, You know, they did lose Zane Anderson, who was going into the season, was going to be a big part of it. So personnel's the first thing. And then the second thing is, We've got to realize, at least offensively, this is a coaching staff that only had one season under their belt. And while that seems like it should be a decent sample size, how it's a completely different set of personnel. It's a younger group of players. And I think you had a coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball that was still uh, trying to find itself. And while it's trying to find itself, we were getting inconsistent performance. And then uh, the defense really was consistent, was pretty consistent, like, not good against the run, extremely bend-don't-break, not a lot of pressure until that Boise State game when, you know, from from what I, from what's been reported, there's probably been some change in responsibilities and, and some different emphasis, mainly uh, Kalani Sataki becoming far more involved, going back to his roots as a defensive coordinator, and, and that has caused some changes there. So to me, it's those, those three things. One, just personnel dealing with injuries, and two, on the offensive side, I think it's been a continuously, you know, a continuous uh, effort for this team to to try and find their stride, and then you know the changeover going into Boise on the defensive side of the ball. All right. So specifically from the offensive side, there's no question these last two games, particularly the last game, they looked as good as off- offensively as they've looked in years. I don't think anybody can argue that. And players make plays and coaches coach. You know, there's been some changes in the coaching assignments, too, in terms of play calling. And they don't like to necessarily acknowledge it publicly. Uh, but I think it's true, and we've seen the players respond. So if you had to put your finger on it, and I'd probably say a little bit of both, but what percentage would you divide it into between the players making plays and the new forms of play calling? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say 
Um, so, look, I think the emergence of Sione Finau, and this might be recency bias, right, but in the last two games, his emergence, he gave USU problems. And he didn't have crazy numbers, but they're not giving him crazy volume, right? But he was he was great against Boise. He was extremely solid. He allowed Lopini Katoa to do what Lopini Katoa does, uh, which is be great in the screen game and be great uh, kind of on the edge. And Sione was able to be really good up front. So his emergence now, running backs and even quarterbacks, but they're only as good as their offensive line. I think the emergence of Blake Freeland, he's played extremely well coming in at right tackle as there's as there's been some injuries there. And credit that entire offensive line, who they themselves have faced, uh, a, a myriad of injuries to be able to, as a unit, continue to play at a high level. So I would probably credit those guys 60%, and then 40% has been this offensive staff's effort to continually try and change things, to be collaborative, to really put the best, not not kind of have, as far as the offensive staff is architected, where most people might think of it as like the coordinator's in charge and it's, it's almost kind of a dictatorship and the position coaches work under him. I truly believe they've continued. And, and I don't think it was like that at any one point. I think it was, you know, there was always an effort there to be collaborative, but they've really leaned into it and it's become truly the best ideas win and the best people are in the best places on game day, whether, you know, from it's a play calling standpoint, whether it's a, you know, Grimes being down on the sideline to make sure he's setting the emotional tone and keep guys focused and locked into all those things. It's really just putting the best guys in the best place from that offensive staff um, has contributed that other 40% where 60% has been the players. So we talked to Liberty's coach, Hugh Freeze, and we were talking about the different quarterbacks that have played this year and about him having to prepare for, you know, how many of them. He was aware, you know, there might be some options this weekend and all that. But he said the one thing is, he said he didn't, the guys do have their own strengths and weaknesses, but it doesn't really change the style of the team. There's probably multiple reasons they've been successful with three quarterbacks. That doesn't happen a lot in college football, but it's happened here for BYU. Why do you think they've been able to move between quarterbacks, not only the physical stuff, but all the emotional leadership stuff, so seamlessly? I'm going to point back to that, and I just spent time talking on on the last question, but this offensive line was what was giving people the most optimism coming into the season. And really, if you look, even when the times the offense struggled, it wasn't because the offensive line was, you know, giving up a bunch of pressures uh, there were times, granted it was against good defensive front, there were times where, yeah, they had trouble establishing the run. But even at that, I, I think at worst they were average um, in, in any kind of moments of weakness. So I've I got to give credit to that offensive line because it all starts there. Now, also there's been consistency within the receiving core. So guys like, it's been nice to have guys like Matt Bushman and Aleva Hifo. And, you know, Matt's been up and down. He was he had a great game against Boise. doesn't even get a catch against Utah State. But he's still got a stabilizing influence. And his presence on the field affects the way the defenses play them. Aleva Hifo's been there and been healthy. Talon Shumway seems to be good for one key catch a game, whether it's a chunk play or a third down. And then you've got guys like Gunnar Romney and Dax Milne who, are, you know, are contributing big plays on the edge, uh, especially in the last two or three games. So, to me, it's that, uh, of course, we talked about the loss of Tyson Williams, but Lupini Katoa and the emergence of Sione Fino has made it easy for them to really plug and, plug and play from that quarterback position. But to me, all of that starts with the offensive line because they, in two games, essentially, well, a game and a half, right, Boise and then the second half of Utah State, 
part of it is that Baylor Romney's getting the ball out of his hands, but the second part is it hasn't even, like, the offensive line hasn't even really let anybody get close to him. And so any quarterback, no matter what string they are, no matter how much experience they have, is going to feel comfortable going into a situation like that that they can execute the game plan. Where do you stand on what to do when Zach Wilson, Wilson gets healthy? Yeah, that's a great question. I believe um, – so I'm not in, I don't have the luxury of being in the locker room. I do think you need to – there needs to be some sensitivity to that in the sense that if the player's in there, if there's kind of a sentiment – and no one's going to overtly admit this, right? This is where you kind of have to use your people skills and get a feel. If they're going to feel like it's a it's an entitlement thing that when Zach comes back, uh, and people are going to be like, "Oh man, everyone's you know bowing down to this kid because he's the freshman." And, and I'm not saying that is the case. I'm just saying you have to be leery of that because if that's if that is the sentiment of the team, if they're like, "Look, Baylor came in and he produced it and he's our guy and we want to ride with him." and guys are going to turn around and be a little bit, I don't know if salty or whatever the word is, if you turn around and just hand it to a guy because he was the starter day one, then then that's that. Now, if if you get a sense that the entire offense or the team is like, no, look, Zach is our unquestioned leader. He he was he was playing great. You know, he, he was able to produce that miracle, you know, fourth quarter in overtime against Tennessee. He led us to a win against USC when they were ranked. And and he's our he's our unquestioned leader and he's our guy and it's just that and everybody sees that it's kind of going back to the status quo you do it but um, I think I think Zach does have a, a little bit more uh, a little bit more tools and you have to understand that you can't just compare numbers against numbers or performance against performance because that slate that Zach Wilson played against was completely different of what you know these last few games or last couple games like three games or at least South Florida boys in Utah State. That Jaron Hall and and Baylor Romney have played. We don't have the luxury of seeing how Zach Wilson would have played against them. All we got to see him was against the likes of USC, Washington, Utah. You know, really good, solid teams. Um, and by the way, he threw for over 300 yards. He had one costly pick, but he threw for over 300 yards and multiple touchdowns against Toledo. So he was doing enough in that game to to lead you to victory. So you have to be careful of managing the psychology of the team. But I also don't think you overcomplicate it as long as the guys in leadership in that locker room is okay with Zach coming back as their established leader, then you give him his job back when he's healthy. How well do you know these three quarterbacks and how good a sense do you have how happy they are in the program? Because all we hear about is a transfer portal window and we see quarterbacks are really as itchy as any position, any athlete, any sports. And it looks like three guys can play, but only one guy can play. So if one or two of the others took off, that wouldn't be a huge surprise. How how much of a handle do you feel like you have on that? I don't know how much you're around the team to know that. Yeah, um, not enough to to really be privy to how everybody really feels. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, we have conversations, and of course everyone's pulling the party line, just like. But I'll just here's some candor for you, and just my own personal experience back in 2011. You know, I was extreme. I wasn't ever to the point of transferring, but I felt, you know, I was extremely. I felt like I should have been the guy, and that was that was how I felt, and that was how I worked, and that was that was my attitude. I wasn't walking around being all happy and content and and happy with my situation. I was extremely displeased with it. 
um, when uh, coming back, you know, I got hurt in 2010 and coming back, I didn't get an opportunity to compete for my job back and it was given to Jake Heaps. And that was, so I was, I was, I was in a state of discontent and I got to imagine, you know, these guys, if they're the players that we hope and think they are, they, they should be, there should be an element of that. Now you don't, you don't become ruinous. You don't make it all about yourself and you don't, you know, you don't upset the team members around you. But there is that element going on. I no one has voiced that to me. I have not been, you know, no one's been that open and honest to me. But I gotta imagine it's there. Here's a couple of things just from my. So here's the disclaimer of speculation: two concussions in two games. You know, in that uh, David Woodward was missing from Utah State um, against BYU because he sustained his third concussion of the season and his fifth one in a career. That starts to get whenever you have guys sustaining concussions at back to back and. And not just back-to-back games, but on seemingly normal hits. The hit that uh, Jaron Hall took as he crossed the goal line on that quarterback draw, I mean, that's a hit that a quarterback, especially a running quarterback, is going to take a half a dozen times a game. game. And if that's one that causes him to go into concussion protocol and not be able to uh, and not be able to continue and not be able to pass protocol. And he's a guy who also has opportunities in baseball where he's not taking consistent blows to the head. You wonder if he continues to try and be a two-sport athlete and, and what his future like is there. So, again, this is pure speculation. So that that can create some room in the quarterback room because now if, if that happens with what, you know, Jaron decides to pursue baseball due to, you know, health issues – uh, regarding uh, head trauma, now you've only got two guys, and this goes back to my situation. While I was, you know, discontent that I was that I wasn't the guy, I knew I was still one play away. So where you've got, you know, whether it's that where they stick with Baylor or they go with Zach, the other guy's only one play away, and he's there working, and you can live in that. It's when you feel buried on the depth chart, like, or you get passed over multiple times. Look at Joe Burrow at Ohio State; he was there, got passed over. Um, by Dwayne Haskins, and then when Justin Fields transfers from Georgia, got passed over again, finally enters the transfer portal, and of course it worked out great for him because he's lighting the world on fire at LSU. But um, we'll see. Time will tell, and that that will work it out. But uh, at the end of all this, I don't have a good feel for it um, because, again, people are still trying to toe the party line and be a team player, but I would not be surprised if someone transfers, and I think a wild card in all of this is Jaron Hall's future as a, you know, playing football. So they're expected to win these next three games, and then they go to San Diego State. We'll see what happens there. Do you take the mindset of, wow, they won five in a row, or do you take the mindset of, oh, my gosh, they could have won seven in a row? <laughs> yeah, um, more of the former, the five in a row, because – you look at Toledo and South Florida, and uh, I mean, yeah, they, they should have won those games, but bottom line is, uh, being there and, and in those stadiums and watching, they did not do enough to win those games. I mean, bottom line, in both of those games, it's hard to say they should have won them because Toledo and South Florida came out in the second half of both of those games down in the game and completely scratched the passing game. They just said, look, we're going to run, and they were able to come back, overcome deficits, and win those games in the fourth quarter by being one-dimensional. So it's hard for me to say that uh, BYU should have seven wins in a row. From a 30,000-foot view, they should, but actually being in the stadium and watching those games, they did not deserve to win those two because 
When you go into the, a fourth quarter with a 10-point lead and the other team is just saying, coming out and saying all we're going to do is run the ball and you let that lead slip regardless of how it happens, you, you did not deserve to win that game. So this is more where it's like, you know what? The first half was not what we expected it to be, and those two losses will be a blemish on this season. But they turned it around. You know, they've now won five in a row and, it, you know, have a shot at eight or nine wins to finish out the season. All right, we're not going to ask you much about Liberty because we're pretty sure how this is going to go. We're not missing anything, are we? Well, I so from a little bit of tape, Antonio Gandy Golden, they got a wide receiver. He already got a, a thousand yards and seven TDs on the season, and he had ten TDs and a thousand yards last year. Uh, he's a guy that uh, he's the best receiver that BYU will face, in my opinion, since USC. Now he is just one man, right? But he, uh, I'm interested to see, especially as you know, BYU has made some changes in the, in the secondary, moving dying from. Um, corner to safety, and they're kind of, you know, between Willis and Heron and Mandel, they're kind of playing musical chairs at corners. It'll be interesting to see how much of an impact their wide receiver will have on the game. On the defensive side of the ball, I think BYU should be more physical and and more um, and just be able to line up and should be able to execute base offense and have success against this Liberty defense. But the last thing I'll say is, like, don't underestimate a team it's one six out of their last seven uh, because winning is contagious and, and they got a mojo going. Quite honestly, when I look at I, you're right. I think we all know how this will go, but the but that's with the context that BYU has been a different team in the last two weeks. As I look at Liberty and I look at South Florida and I'm doing my film study on them, there's not much difference between those two teams. So where BYU was capable of losing to South Florida – they they got to be on guard, and they have to continue to, uh, you know, build on the success of the last two weeks. And again, I'm not I'm not saying like oh there's this, I'm not saying like oh they they should be on upset alert because I do think they turned a corner going into that game against Boise, and I don't think this is the same team that played against South Florida. But still, the, you know, it's uh, Liberty is they got a lot of confidence as I look at them scheme wise and personnel wise they're similar to uh, previous opponents that BYU has played and actually lost to and so uh, while it should be a comfortable victory for BYU uh, I don't think it'll be a boring blowout you know that's 30 something points Riley we appreciate it as always we will talk to you again next week okay great thanks fellas Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst. Join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Jared Greenberg, NBA TV host, is going to be here next to talk jazz and Sixers tonight in the Western Conference as a whole. Next, stay with us. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Utah Jazz are back in action tonight at home against the Philadelphia 76ers. The game's on AT&T Sportsnet. Jazz are going to be shorthanded. Ed Davis, Emmanuel Moody, and Dante Exum have all been ruled out for tonight's game. Listen to the pregame show in the zone starting at 6 o'clock. NBA doubleheader on ESPN tonight. Warriors and Rockets are the early game at 5.30. Bucks and Clippers late game at 8 o'clock. College basketball, 17th-ranked Utah State opens the season with an 81-73 win over Montana State. BYU also at home beating Cal State Fullerton 76-58. The Utes also win, probably the most impressive win of the three because they went on the road to Reno and beat Nevada 79-74. 23 points from Timmy Allen, 22 points from Booth Gotch.
Top of the Wire is brought to you by Diamond Airport Parking. Don't take the bus to our airport parking lot. Diamond Airport Parking offers covered self-parking, covered valet parking, open valet parking, and free 24-7 car-to-curb shuttle service. Diamond Airport Parking since 1922, just off I-80 and Redwood Road. Park, ride, and save at Diamond Airport Parking. Win, win, win. It's a win ticket Wednesday on the Zone Sports Network. It's a win ticket Wednesday right here. Win. Listen all day for the win ticket Wednesday sounder for your chance to win tickets. What? Who authorized that? To all the biggest concerts, games, and other great events here in the state of Utah. It's a win ticket Wednesday right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by Jared Greenberg, NBA TV host of Crunch Time. It's kind of NBA TV's version of the NFL's Red Zone. Jared, good morning. Good morning, fellas. How's it going? Good. You know, you're kind of going down a road here, uh, Crunch Time, and I've thought this for a long time, so I'm going to throw this out there, and you can do with it what you will. I pitched this to a former Jazz president who was like, yeah, that's a good idea. But I think he just threw out the window as soon as I left. That was gone. Fourth quarter Fridays. NBA games start every half hour. It's mostly scheduled that way, but not quite. Everybody loves the last five minutes of an NBA game. You start games every half hour all night long. You've always got the end of an NBA game to go to. You're almost there. Fourth quarter Fridays. Think about it. I'm into it. I'm into it. Uh, let's, Let's get it going. But, I mean, listen. Hopefully you guys check out Crunch Time. We do like a marathon thing on on Wednesday nights, uh, which goes from the very first tip of the first game, and we don't come off the air until the final buzzer of the last game of the night. And we're bouncing around the league. We're taking live looks. We're telling you about you know players putting up big numbers. We're showing you the biggest dunks of the night. We're showing you the great finishes each night. You know the thing I always say is we're, we're taking into the biggest moments of the night as they happen live. Wednesday nights all throughout the night, and then Friday nights. We do like a, a short 90-minute version of it. Um, it's all about the schedule. You know, we want to be on the air when the most games are on, and, and usually Wednesday nights is, is the case. And tonight we'll be, we'll be doing we'll, – we'll do kind of, kind of your idea a little bit uh, tonight. I promise you. We'll, we'll, we'll do fourth quarter Wednesdays. How about that? What makes a good NBA night in your mind? Just, um, you know, competitive games. Um, you know, it, it seems like um, – there's never a shortage of storylines in the NBA. You know, take last Wednesday, for example. It was remarkable, obviously, uh, you know, getting ready for, for your um, Philly-Utah game tonight. Last Wednesday, we had the Philly-Minnesota fight between Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid. Uh, then we had Harden uh, going, you know, erupting for, what, like 59 points as, as the uh, Rockets won 159-158. to 158. And then almost a few moments later, you had Steph Curry breaking his, his hand. So not, not that you want injuries, but there always seems to be incredible storylines. You never know where it's going to come from, whether it's the star doing star-like things, or it's uh, somebody like Jay Crowder a couple of weeks ago hitting a buzzer beater, or it's, uh, you know, last week we, we, we saw Jason Tatum hitting a buzzer beater live on Crunch Time on NBA TV. So it's just a, it's a collection of stories that we get to tell all throughout the night, and I, I think there's never a shortage of it, I'm sure, as you guys know. So I'm curious what you think, watching all the teams in the league. Are the Lakers and Clippers, are either one of them a clear number one in the West? Do you view them as a clear one and two, and it's a step down to everybody else? How do you see the top of the West? You know, I, I don't think anybody right now, today, can, can say that confidently. I think that the Clippers have the makings of, of becoming that team in, in the next few months. 
Um, and now reports actually in the last few moments that, that Paul George uh, have come out that Paul George you know, may be coming back here in the next couple of weeks, um, and, which is incredible because you know, I, think, I think just the Clippers have kind of the, the, the structure, it seems like, or, or the, the roster makeup of what you would think uh, a great team would be, even if you take the names out of it. You know, you've obviously got your, your two big marquee names in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um, you've, you've got a team full of guys who are willing and capable defenders and are versatile defenders who, you know, if you take on a team like LeBron and, 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 or you take a team like the Lakers, the Clippers have guys that could defend LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, and then you also have guys who had success on this team last year who didn't have to change much roles. You know, you look at Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell, what I think the benefit that, that the Clippers have this year is that they brought in stars, but it doesn't affect the role or what you're asking your two essential glue guys to do on this team this year. It's the same as they've been doing in the past. So that, that's why I think long-term the Clippers have the edge. But as of today, I just think not, – not, I'm not going to give you the cliche answer that it's too early. I just don't know that we've seen enough. And, and I think because there was so much roster turnover over the summer, guys, you know, you guys are going through it in Utah right now where it's going to take teams more than ever, you know, at least a quarter of the season to figure out their identity and to get a, a good feel for who they are and what they will be eventually. How much does load management impact what you guys do? Yeah, it stinks. It, it, it really does. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons, and, you know, I hate to be a salesperson on this, it's one of the reasons why I encourage people on a night like tonight, on Wednesday nights, to tune into NBA TV, because one of the, my, my missions each and every time I'm on the air is to make sure we're keeping people up to speed, whether it, you know, you're, you're shelling out some cash for the game or whether you're a fantasy basketball player and you're trying to set your daily lineup or, or even if you're in a season-long league, you know, what, what, your, what your lineup looks like. Because every night there's, there's another surprise of, like, who's not playing and is this guy going to come back or, you know, how is this team handling a, an injury or just resting a healthy player? You know, I, I, I totally understand why teams do it when guys are coming off of an injury. But when you're doing it with a fully healthy guy that you're declaring, like the Clippers have, who has never felt healthier, something Doc Rivers said last week, and then on the same day you decide to rest him for load management, it just – you know, it's unfortunate for the fans. It really is. And, and listen, you guys, I'm sure you guys are fans. I'm fans. Like, it, it, as much as we work in, in this business covering the league, you want to see the best players play. It, it, it's, it's part of sports. As, as much as maybe, you know, people in certain cities don't want to see other teams dominate, what you do want to strive to see in sports, whether it's your own team or somebody else's team, is, is you want to observe greatness. You want to be able to tell your kids or your friends, you were there for that, or you saw this, or be able to talk about you know, watching the best actually compete. And when, when guys are taking days off and still getting paid for it, you know, it, it, it makes you frustrated as a fan, and I totally sympathize. So what if you're Adam Silver, would you do about it? I, I, I think, you know, here's the conundrum that, that Adam Silver has right now, is that do you promote honesty or not honesty, Right. Because what's going to happen, because teams have collected this data and every team now has 
not only athletic trainers, but sports scientists, either on their staff or people that they um, consult with. And, and, and listen, I get, I've spoken to a lot of them, and I, I respect what they do, and I don't think that they're wrong. You know, you're not, I'm not going to sit here as a, you know, as a moron, you know, just guy who gets paid to watch and talk about basketball. I'm, I'm not smarter than them. I get it that the data tells them that, that sitting these players, maximizing their rest, maximizing times between playing is what behooves them to be better long-term. I get all that. But if you go into a situation where Adam Silver lays down the law, you know, puts down the hammer and says, no more load management, well, now Kawhi Leonard's still going to miss tonight's game. It's just they're going to say he's a sprained right ankle. And what do you want? Do you want teams to be honest with you and tell you that a guy's resting? Or do you want a team to lie to you and tell you that he's got a made-up sprained right ankle. It's really up to what we want right now. That's why this is so hard. And unfortunately, I wish we had a solution. I wish there was something. I just think that, you know, the league continues to work each and every year, as you see with the schedule, to reduce the number of back-to-backs, to reduce playing three games and four nights. They've eliminated playing four games and five nights. They have paid very close attention to travel schedules, particularly when teams are going from west to east to, to lighten the load. So, People can maximize their sleep. There's all this like scientific data that's going into schedule making and, and players managing their load, which is like the worst thing in the world to say right now. But it's it's the case. Like if that's what's happening. I think you know. I, I don't think we're any closer to a solution because the science shows us that guys, you know, reducing the amount of stress on their body is better for them long term. And 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 I think the balance is this, guys. Teams are in this first and foremost for business to make money, right? Second, secondly, they're in it to win basketball games and ultimately win championships. I think if there comes a time when either tickets start to not be sold at such a high rate, TV ratings drop, which they have over the last couple of years, which ultimately, if it, once the next TV uh, deal comes up, if less TV money starts coming in and the bottom line gets affected, that's how this load management and resting gets changed. Nothing until that and nothing until the money gets affected will, will change how this is working right now. How about if you're going to use the load management as the reason you can only use it in home games? You know, it's interesting, and, and the Clippers are doing that tonight, which is a surprise um, because, you know, the majority of times you're right, teams have done it um, on the road, which has affected, you know, people buying tickets in, in the away market. I, I, I think that's a good solution, um, but that's not, that's not going to solve everything um, because you're right, it does penalize the home team. I, I think that's a, that's a step forward to doing it, but again, Who's to say, like last Wednesday when the Clippers were on the road and they used load management for Kawhi, that they just wouldn't have said he had a, you know, a, a sore left elbow? You, you, you know? So that, that, that's the problem is that if you put these rules in, there's too many ways around it if teams don't want to play their stars. DJ and PK, we are talking NBA right now with Jared Greenberg, NBA TV, host of Crunch Time. So as you watch these teams uh, battle it out here, how deep is the East? You guys are watching, you're probably watching more there than we are here. The games are on way early here, and we just don't have the buy-in because yeah. it's a Western team here. Are there really only two teams at the top of the East, and are the Jazz about to see them here twice in three days? And these are the, these are the only two good Eastern teams that are coming in. No, I mean, listen, I, I think that there, it's, it's a little more clear-cut in the East, obviously, than it is in the West. And, and those two teams, obviously, as you mentioned, Philadelphia and Milwaukee. But, listen, Miami's been playing out of their mind. I, I, had, I didn't think Miami would be this good, and I think ultimately it's going to level out for them. I just think that you know they're a team that, that has too many injuries and, and too many questions about you know their style of play. 
not, 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 not that the coach has a question. He knows how he wants to play, but how will that ultimately affect the way they actually do play? You know, I think Toronto will be okay. I, I, I think the team to really watch in the East is Boston this year, guys. You know, you saw your old buddy Gordon Hayward do it last night, career, tied his career high uh, with 39 points last night. Um, I, I think Boston will be better than people think they will be, but ultimately, yeah. I mean, it's going to come down, I would imagine, in the playoffs to Philadelphia and to Milwaukee, and you've got two of the best players in the East, right? You've got Embiid and you've got Giannis, and, and that's what's going to carry those two teams, I would imagine, all the way to the conference finals. Yeah, that was interesting in Boston. I'm wondering how that's going to work because they basically exchanged one ball-dominant guard for another with Irving and Walker, obviously. And so do you think that Hayward will have opportunities like he had, as you speak to, when he scored the 39 points? Yeah, as similar in game as Kyrie and Kemba are, um, I think that there's two major differences. Number one, Kemba is a willing passer. I think the reason why he's gotten labeled as a ball-dominant guy who shoots a bunch is because he was on a, a, a Charlotte team that had almost no one around him ever to carry the load with him, right? I mean, there, there, there was just nobody. Jeremy Lamb was his second-best offensive option for, for a couple of years, right? I mean, think about how poor those draft picks were year after year that, that never panned out to provide him a one-two punch or even a, you know, a, a, a guy that could step up and score 20 points uh, when, when Kemba was having an off night. Um, and the second is the personality. I, I think that we can't under, um, we, we can't over-exaggerate, I, I should say, you know, the, the importance of locker room chemistry. And it's not, not just like guys being best friends, but it's guys understanding they're on the same page, fighting for the same mission, and every night being cool with, all right, if it's not me, it's you, and if it's not you, it's him. And, and I think Kemba brings that attitude with him that's different than, than, than Kyrie ha- has had in his career. Jared Greenberg, NBA TV, join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. So clearly the Warriors have to hit pause for a year. This year's wrecked. Do you think they're ever going to get back to being an elite team to add a draft pick and, hey, they can bounce back? Or do you think uh, they're going to be competing for the four or five seeds in the West down the road? I absolutely think that they could be an elite team again, especially at the league, the landscape, the way it is right now with all these duos stays the same. I mean, I'm of the belief that Steph Curry is a top five player in this league. Which team that has a top five player on it is not a contender? Add in Clay Thompson, who is the second best shooter in basketball, and, and maybe we'll be able to show a little more of the tools um, in his bag moving forward because there's not so many other stars around him. I think that when you look at, at, at the landscape of the league, if you put Clay Thompson and Steph Curry healthy on any team, they're going to make them a contender. And I also believe in Steve Kerr and Bob Myers and what they've done and, and the culture and the, the infrastructure there in, 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 uh, in San Francisco now. You know, I, I think that, that, listen, yes, they did it for so many years with such a complete roster headlined by two top five players with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. But I think in today's era that we're in, which changed, you know, we jumped off a cliff this past summer from, you know, the, the, the threesomes and the foursomes to now these duos that ultimately, I, I don't know that they win another championship, but I think you, you, we would be awfully, awfully, uh, you know, wrong to, to overlook the dominance of Curry and Clay and what, Draymond Green means to that team the way he plays and then added in D'Angelo Russell and whatever they do with a draft pick. I'm pretty confident that this team is, 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 is not going to go away quietly. Jared, we appreciate a few minutes. Crunch time. Unless it becomes, you know, fourth, 
fourth quarter Fridays. <laughs> Host of Crunch Time. You're not going to me if I use that tonight, are you? No, I no, I seriously look at Friday night's schedule. You need to move either the Jazz or the Nugget game, and you're set. You're you're so close. You're right there, and people. Love All right, so to tell those fans that they got to change the time they go to the game because we're moving it. <laughs> okay, TV. we're used to that. Uh-huh. We're just happy when it's not eight thirty here. Those are the ones that kill us. If, it, uh, if, you, yeah. if all the eight thirties became seven thirties, people would sign off on that in a heartbeat. All right, Jared, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Jared Greenberg, NBA TV, host of Crunch Time. We're going to take a break. When we come back, your feedback on today's show. We'll get to all of that coming up. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, the feedback of the day is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. All right, time for your feedback. What are you thinking? Get Conley comfortable, Gecko says. Clean up turnovers, which do relate to Conley. Improve the rebounding. The Jazz are undefeated so far this season with these improvements. Won't win all the games, but it helps, and this team is still very good. All right, I can buy a lot of that. Reasonable enough. Problem is, there's at least five very good teams in the West. Sure. And maybe there's more than that. Okay, I agree. I don't know that's necessarily a problem. It's the reality of the situation. Whether it's a problem remains to be seen. Because if it's a problem for you... And it's not a problem for anybody else, or not anybody else, but it's not a problem for two or three teams, then you're really not in the hunt. But if it's a problem for every team, then you are in the hunt. Does that make sense? Not exactly. Say that again? There's, you said there's five teams in the hunt. Just use five as an, sure. as an example. Well, if it's a problem for you, and it's not a problem for three other teams, then you're not really in the hunt. If it's a problem... If the five teams are in the hunt, then mm-hmm. it better be a problem for all five teams. If it's not a problem for all five teams, then the teams that it's a problem for aren't in the are no longer in the hunt. I see what you're saying. Right. That problem will separate you out right. from the elite. Uh, as much as we, and we all just want to pronounce stuff right now, and I think if I had to pronounce something right now, I think the Jazz are fighting for third in the West. I don't think they're going to do better than third in the West. All right. Okay. But third in the West is two spots better than they've been doing, so... And I think it would change their playoff draw quite a bit. And if there's some super elite team, you'd avoid them for two rounds instead of seeing them earlier in the uh, in the tournament. So, but I, I can't even say that with any degree of certainty right now because while the Jazz are sorting stuff out, and we all have to acknowledge they are, the Lakers are sorting stuff out, the Clippers are sorting stuff out, the Rockets are sorting stuff out. Denver's the only team that you could look at and say, you know, you guys really ought to come out and hit the ground running here pretty quick. Portland, some people think they're elite, some don't, but either way, they got a bunch of new faces there. So Denver's the one that's got a lot of guys back and shouldn't have stuff to figure out. I make no pronouncements until I had my paella mode. And then? Now the I'm, pronouncement's slow. And when do I have my paella mode? Anytime you want, because you're no, Pat Kinahan. No, no, no. What's that? Not till Thanksgiving night. <laughs> That's when I have my pie a la mode That's with the only ice cream. Time of year you have, uh, of course, pie a la mode with ice cream is redundant. <laughs> From the Department of Redundancy Department. That's the only time I make a pronouncement. My point is, don't make a pronouncement until at least Thanksgiving. At least. Yes. Solid, solid take from you. 
So don't make any pronouncements. And really, we could push it back. You know that we've seen the trade deadline impact things before. I'm going minimally. Yeah, but you're right. And there are plenty of people who say the NBA doesn't start until Christmas night. Yeah, I think that's BS. It doesn't get the attention. It doesn't maybe. get the attention. But then you got two months of basketball. But you still got the trade deadline to go. So I understand. And teams reshape themselves. Right. I follow. I we've follow seen you. That. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, we'll leave it right there for I'm now. I'm not making any pronouncements until we get Kyle Korver back. Derek. <laughs> we do have a lot of getting Derek Favors back. We don't have a lot of getting Kyle Korver back. We had a lot of get Derek Favors back on the, on, the, uh, on the Facebook page and on social media today. All right, we're out of here. Tony and Austin are up next. Jazz tonight. We'll break it all down tomorrow right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.